and welcome to series three of A Coffee With, a C&D podcast where I sit down with some of pharmacy's most inspirational women to find out how they got to where they are today. I'm Emily Stern, a reporter at C&D, and in every episode I'll be talking to a different woman in pharmacy to chat about their career highs and lows, their aspirations and fears, and everything in between. So, pour yourself a cuppa and join me for the latest instalment of A Coffee With. Welcome back to part two of this week's episode, where I'm speaking to Lenny Abo, a consultant pharmacist for the care of older people at Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital London and the NHS Specialist Pharmacy Service. In part one, we spoke about her career journey so far, registering as a pharmacist in the UK, and her role in the government's review of overprescribing in the NHS. I'd love now to reflect on your career. What would you say has been the biggest challenge you faced so far? Ooh. So I think because of the kind of person I am, I don't think I have big challenges with work because work is just work. <laughs> so I haven't really had, you know, like people have like a real big challenge. No, I haven't had that. And I think also because I'm quite resilient and I have, I tend to have like a positive outlook. So even when I'm facing what might be a, 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 a big challenge is like, well, do you know what? It's not the end of the world. You know, how can we move on from there? And I kind of try not to dwell. But what I've had is I've had many medium-sized challenges and little challenges that just persist. So what happens is when you keep having all these challenges or medium or small, after a while, they just wear you out. And so I've had those kind of challenges. And I think one of them works as a challenge, but also being a strength for me and and an opportunity for me to kind of move ahead where I would not have been able to do that. One of them is just not going through normal and traditional routes. Uh, So I'm having most of the time to prove myself. So, for example, I was the one pharmacist who came from community in the middle of all other pharmacies who had been in hospital. I'm the, when I became a consultant pharmacist, I was the, again, probably one consultant pharmacist who had come from a community background. I was the only one applying for a community, ph- uh, for a consultant pharmacist role in the community, not in hospital. And I find that sometimes people just can't, I mean, for that particular role, People just couldn't get their head around it. You don't have consultants in community, uh, not in 2006, 2007. So my application just went back and forth and back and forth and had applied at the same time as another colleague uh, who worked in hospital. And she got hers clear about a year, a year and a half before mine, even though we put in very similar applications. So I think the challenge of, you know, um, feeling almost as I'm always starting from a minus or a disadvantaged position for, for whatever reason um, and just having to fight uh, or kind of to prove or to rise up to the challenge that sometimes is challenging especially if there are other things going on if there are other little things and you're not really starting it's a, when I'm in a good place then it's easier to fight those battles and keep going but sometimes when you're just exhausted by other things that are going on in life then it is just wearing so I, I've had that, that, that kind of challenge but also I've had times when I haven't had the right leadership or management structure uh, where I've kind of felt a bit stifled or boxed in for, for whatever reason again I find that so frustrating because 
I kind of just throw myself, I put a lot of energy into what I do. I work with outcomes, so I like to work with purpose. I don't like to do things for the fun of it, you know, just because somebody said so. So I like to know, you know, what what does this mean? If if I'm going to this meeting, if I'm doing this training, if I'm visiting this patient, what am I what's the point of me being going, you know, what why am I doing this? To for what reason? And if I don't understand reason, it just seems like a task to be done. And if I'm expending a lot of energy, I could be quite frustrated because I'm thinking, well, what am I doing all this for? So I think the hardest times I've had in my career is is when I've had people who are very task focused and not telling or kind of letting on, you know, why, when I haven't had a clear vision of what we're doing, I don't like people micromanaging and all that. When I feel stifled, then I really, really struggle. But luckily, those have not been as much as the times where I've just been allowed to to work within a, a big framework. So somebody sets the vision and sets the tone, and then I can work within those and kind of be creative um, and, and kind of really get my teeth and my energy into stuff um, and, and deliver on the outcomes. Um, I was having a coaching session with my uh, with my coach uh, a few months ago, and I kind of uh, came to her because I just kind of was stuck uh, in a rut and I just really struggling to understand things and how to move forward. Uh, and she said to me, oh, Lely, she goes, you're an outcome person. And she says, a lot of people in the NHS, you tell them, do something, they're process people, they get on with it and do it, you know, and, and they get their outcomes. And she goes, for someone like you, you have to understand the purpose. And so instead of just doing what people say, you ask them, can you tell me why I'm doing this? Is it the right thing to do? And she goes, and so if you're not careful, people just think you don't want to do stuff. And she goes, you need to think about where the other person is coming from and try to be on the same page and have that conversation first so that when you understand where they're coming from and they understand how you fit into that, then it's, it's a lot easier. So I've been working on that uh, and, and trying to get to that place first so that, you know, um, you know, kind of, there's a win-win on both sides because then once I understand purpose, I am really ready um, to roll and um, I can see how much value I can add to whether it's my uh, patients or my organisation or to the work of whoever is directing me. So on the flip side then, what would you say has been your biggest success? Goodness, I I think I've been one of those people who have just been lucky so the obvious uh thing i mean just to say on the side is i it doesn't take a lot to give me a high i am so easily impressed and so easily excited by things so obviously um some of the the uh, biggest highs i would have had are just some when i've got awards and recognition and and achievements um i've had uh, my fair share of all that um and just the uh, opportunity to work with various high-profile people on kind of high-profile things like National Prescribing Review. Uh, the project I talked about, the London Medicines Project, was a runner-up in uh, in the Royal Farm School Awards in 2003. I won the like pre-sweep shared decision-making award. This is way back in uh, probably 2011, before shared decision-making was a big thing. Um, I've won something on wound care in primary care. Um, I won the, myself and Nina Barnett, who's a, a colleague I work very closely with, we got the Clinical Pharmacy Congress Leadership Award about 
you know, four or five years ago. I was part of the delegates that went to Downing Street in the RPS Now or Never Review, and some of my work is featured um, in that. So I've had, you know, all that going on in, in my, and I'm really grateful for them and also really grateful to, cause as, as you know, nobody just gets an award without uh, the right people supporting them. So I am lucky that often I'm the one in the front, but, um, you know, I've been privileged to work with wonderful, amazing people on the day-to-day basis. So I'm not talking about the, the seniors. I'm also talking about the people I work with in my team. Really amazing people. Um, also, I think a lot of interesting things. I've been on several night guidance development groups. I was part of the group who did the structured medication review uh, for the GP contract. I was part of the acute frailty network working as the pharmacy rep. I'm a member of the London Frailty Network as well, leadership group. So I've had quite a a lot of exposure and just the privilege of working uh, with so many people. So lots and lots of highs. Um, I've worked with the Royal Colleges. I remember when um, there was the practitioners with a special interest in older people and there were quite a few colleges that came together to develop that guidance way back um again as a relatively young pharmacist it was just nice to be able to work with some of the people who had, who wrote that report um as i said i enjoyed my time in community pharmacy um as a pre-reg um so i've had regular doses of highs to keep me going but i think also what um um, I've really enjoyed is working with people and my patients. I always have interesting cases where I've gone in and made an intervention with just life-changing results. People who are housebound and, and you cut down on their medicines or you make interventions and you, you turn around and you think, wow, when I worked in, uh, in, uh, in, in community pharmacy and I, I went to, I used to work in, a, I used to go to the care homes. There was this lady who had two big wounds on her legs. So she had an arterial leg ulcer and she had a venous leg ulcer. And she was, we would go and see her because we used to go in there and measure the wounds and see whether they're shrinking and all that business are going with the nurses. And when I first met her, she wasn't about, Ooh, 12, 13 medicines. It was like what you call a prescribing cascade. It has started from the pain and then they put her on MST and cocodamol and then she got constipated and then they put her on the laxatives. And because of the constant pain, she was depressed. And we went all the way down and before you knew it, she was on like 13 or so medicines. And I used to go in there to do the wounds and she used to just come in and out of drowsiness. She never really spoke and she would say a few things and go back to sleep and the nurse would be at it doing her legs. And so right at the beginning, I thought, do you know, we need to find out what type of wound this is. And we found out one was arterial, one was been, and we put the compression bandage in. And usually with within six weeks, the wound should start to heal. And by six weeks, her legs all the edema, the varicose veins and the eczema had just gone down. The arterial leg um, also hadn't gone, but it was now the size of a 5p coin. But what was really interesting was we began to de-prescribe. Now, in those days, it wasn't called de-prescribing. I'm talking way, way before 1997. Uh, So we had stopped some of these medicines because now the pain wasn't so bad. And we were cutting down and cutting down and we had cut her down right to almost like five medicines. 
And after six weeks, I went back to the care home and I went into the old lady's room. And there she was. She was painting. She was wide awake. I was so gobsmacked. And she was telling me about all these things that she was not, um, it was just coloring something she had. And she was showing this to me. And I had a full five minute conversation with this lady. It was mind blowing. So for me, these are the things that really excite me. And I could tell you loads of patients where you go and they're housebound and, you know, everything. They're taking so many medicines. They cannot, you know, they can't see anything. And they're kind of dying from the effects of those medicines or suffering. And then you start to work with them and take things off. And you find underneath that, you know, um, sad, frail old person. There's another old person that comes out with personality and they're off to Brixton Market or they're off to do something or they're off to bingo. And so for me, those are highlights. Those things stay with me. And those are the things that I think make my job worthwhile. But also is how I work with people. I've worked with a lot of staff and a lot of my staff move on to big things. And so we start off with people who sometimes are insecure, haven't got the opportunities. And then you work with them and you have like, I had a, one of my pharmacy technicians and amazing pharmacy technician, lots and lots uh, lots of years of experience, but never really done anything outside just you know, being a pharmacy technician and working. And and once I remember we had worked on a case together and I invited her around to the Older People Pharmacy Network, which is kind of like a national um, um, study day. And she did a presentation and she was so nervous about, you know, doing this presentation. But honestly, when she finished the presentation and there was a queue of people waiting just to speak to her, um, and, and I remember getting a text from her and she goes, Lely, I'm home now. I just can't switch off. I'm buzzing. And, and it's just things like that that really excite me. So there's a, uh, another lady who's like, uh, she was like a rehab nurse. And again, you know, sometimes when you're in the community, you're just working your way and there's not that many exciting things. And so, again, we had worked together um, on, on uh, she used to refer patients to me and we had done some joint visits. And during the Now or Never report, we did a short video and, and I remember she was interviewed and she thought, I have never been on camera. And she was so excited. And then we had to go present at a joint RPS and, and nurses um, event. And she said she, she actually went to do her hair. She had a haircut. She bought a new pair of boots or whatever to go for this event. And I just have stories of people who, you know, just, you know, I have week after week, people would go, I've just got a new job. I've, I've moved on to do this. I'm involved in projects. So for me, that's part of what makes my job so exciting. So although we have the highs and the lows, then the other things that happen behind the scene where you see people come into their full potential, uh, for me, that is, is priceless. So what are your future career goals now? Then? Uh, three things, but two of them are closely linked. The first one is obviously around just making sure that older people are getting better outcomes from their medicines and making sure that we have a workforce that's fit to deliver that. So my kind of vision for the future would be every older person who has a medicines-related need would have access to a pharmacist in whatever care setting where they access care. 
So there must be one pharmacist that they can go to. It doesn't matter whether that's a community pharmacist or a hospital pharmacist. Or, it doesn't really matter. But wherever an older person is accessing care, they should be able to lay hold of one pharmacist. And that pharmacist would know, would have the skills and the confidence and the competency uh, to provide the right intervention or refer them to the next place where they can get help. So, so that is my dream. So in within that is what do we need clinically to be able to do that? And the other thing is how do we empower people or how can I empower people to be at that level? Um, and where do we get the networks and the systems that we need to put in place? And, and a big part of that is around person-centered, delivering person-centered care and, and, and you know, kind of prioritizing the needs of of um of our patients and actually doing what we need to do. So that's the, that's the first beat. Uh, the second thing is around growing leaders, and again, that's something else that that I'm passionate about because I think we need more women. We need more people of color in leadership positions because honestly, if we don't, if we're not sitting in the right place, if we're not in those places. We're on the outside just shouting and making a lot of noise. And honestly, we can make as much noise as going to have little influence unless we're sitting at the places where decisions are being made. And, and that's one of the things that I've learned from being involved in these high-profile things. Unless you're around the table, all the decisions are made there. It's really dependent on what, what those people there are hearing and how convinced they are. And if you're on the outside, you're just having a conversation. Sometimes people listen and it might make a little change, but there's nothing like being in the room and having a voice in the room. So for me, I think a lot of the change we want to see is going to come when we start having more people around the table where the decisions are, are being made. We can't have just one or two and all that tokenism, it just makes it harder for the people who are there. We need to have a bit of everybody. We need to have diverse groups and all that kind of uh, uh, thing to be able to, um, you know, just get into change and to, to be able to see and realise the change that we need to see. How do you hope that will change? How do you hope that change will happen? I think that the first thing for me, um, because I, I think if you believe, if you truly and generally believe in something, uh it can be achieved. So for me, I think one of the first things um, I would say is that currently, uh, women especially, um, and people of colour are underrepresented in senior management uh, and leadership roles. And that's not just pharmacy, that's just generally. So I was reading uh, a report. So this is uh, by McKinsey, and, and it looked at uh, people in um, executive positions in the in the US, but you know I'm sure it applies here in the in the UK. And something like 66% of the people in those positions are white males. 19% are white females. 19, 66 to 19. Men of color, 13%. Women of color, 3% startling it's awful and maybe i mean i don't know what the stats here i don't have them off the hand but it's not going to be too far out and so, and meanwhile we have evidence on the other side that the more diverse a leadership group is 
they generate better innovation, they generate more revenue, performance increases. And the two things that when I've looked at a lot of the evidence or a lot of the articles, the two things that they highlight as making the biggest difference is having more women and having more people of color. So for me, as a scientist, I'm thinking, it's so obvious why we need to do this. So sometimes I think, why are we not doing it? And I just wonder, is it because we really don't believe that that's true? Because I think if we do, we, we can. We can begin to pull those barriers down. Um, and we can begin to get the right people that we need in place. I know there's a lot about um, allyship and being an ally. I think we need more than that. We need sponsors. We need people who would open doors for women you know i know there's we're doing i mean i love mentoring and coaching but even that when you're looking for big change we need a bit more than that you know a mentor or a coach can show you where the door is they can show you all the strategies and tips um how to open those doors um but at the end of the day, when you have a sponsor, somebody who is in a in, in a place of in a, who is mingling in higher circles than you are, they just open the door and you walk in. And and women, we need those kind of uh, people. We need male um, sponsors. We need female sponsors as well. We need women, great women, who are um, empowering um, other women to become great. So we need a lot of that. So so that's from what other people can do but actually for us as 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 women i think there's a lot we can do as well i think we need to start understanding that you know for the kind of change that we need we can't deliver it on our own it doesn't matter how good you are as a woman you can't deliver we need to collaborate more we need to we, we need to remove competition uh, we need to remove that whole mindset that Ooh, there isn't enough room for everyone. There's, you know, there's just two ladies' posts and then we're all fighting for those posts. No, we need to know that there is enough room. There can be enough room. And actually, we don't need to compete with each other. We don't need to use our power to put other women down or hide things or to do what we need to do just to stay in there. We don't need to change uh, uh, some of the advantages and strengths we have as women, like emotional intelligence, we, just to keep in standing with, uh, with, with, with the men or, the, or how society thinks we need to be. We need to be there and be visible and avail available um, for other women. So uh, I think we need to be there for each other more um, as women. I think every woman, especially those who are in leadership positions, they should be there to look out for other women. You know, they should be able to create opportunities for other women. They need to be able to amplify other women and shout out what they're doing and shout out and celebrate their achievements, you know, to publicly give praise and stop breaking this whole cycle of rivalry and, and, and everybody fighting for the same thing. Um, and I, I just think if, if you're a woman and your skills and knowledge or even your experience is in high demand, create space uh, for that. I think every woman should um, have a mentor, a coach, a sponsor, uh, and appear to support them. And they could be the same thing for other people. And I think we, j we just really need to join forces because I think we need the numbers to be in the right places. And the more we have in numbers, the better the power, our collective power, and the better the impact. So until we start sitting in those places, we're always going to be outside just um, talking. What's the best way for people to find a mentor that suits them um, or, or suits their, their career? Because 
so often there aren't those mentors available for people who have that similar, similar career pathway or similar background. I think it depends on what you want to be mentored for. And I think at different stages in my career, I've wanted to grow in different areas. So there are times when it's really around my clinical skills, sometimes around my leadership skills, sometimes around communication skills. So you find a mentor in the, who is really experienced in the area you want to move into. So if somebody's striving to be a consultant pharmacist, then find a consultant pharmacist who's going to mentor you to become a, a consultant pharmacist. If you're looking at developing your leadership skills, it doesn't have to be a pharmacist. Look around you, uh, speak to people and find people who have really good leadership skills. So I think if you look broader, you're not limiting to pharmacy. So if you're, if you're looking in pharmacy, there are all kinds of, the RPS has a mentoring scheme. There are all kinds of mentoring schemes. Some of the individual companies have mentoring schemes. So I think, yes, if you have to, but also in your own organization, there are people who maybe are not your line managers. So if you're like a junior pharmacist, you can find a mentor who's been through what you need to, or who's kind of slightly just above. It's good for them is good for you as well. So I think there are mentors everywhere and we just have to be creative in how we, we find them. But I think it's really important not just to choose a blanket because as a pharmacist, you think they can mentor you. You need to be intentional and purposeful about what you want to be mentored on and go for a mentor um, who, um, who can help to meet that need. There's also the NHS Leadership Academy and you can find, you can register as a mentor or coach. There's the RPS. There's so many organizations where you can find uh, mentors um, who can help. Uh, I think coaching also is another way to develop your skills. The good thing about coaching is they don't have to know your trade. Uh, and sometimes it's better if they don't know your trade because it's all about helping you to use your strengths and to have a broader perspective. So again, I wouldn't be without a coach because I think they can help me to see things um, that I would never see and to, to approach things from different perspectives. And they help me to dig quite deep and I can find all the resources um, that I need to move on. So I think that's a different kind of relationship. But again, anybody, the good thing about coaching is they don't have to be uh, uh, the same uh, um, thing as you. That, again, there's a lot of places, there lots of organizations who provide coaching as part of, you know, development and, 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 and you know, uh, CPD. Uh, you can find also um, uh, professional bodies and things. And, and, you know, again, the London Leadership Academy and so many other places can help with coaches. So I think, you know, th those are things that, everybody should be able to you know, access. I would like to see um, a lot of uh, female pharmacists, especially making sure they have all these networks because these are, the th these are the things that can give you that extra edge, especially when you're moving to a leadership role, people who can give you information that you would not have access to. So I often joke that by the time a job comes to NHS jobs, a lot of people already know about it. And there are some people who have already started planning for those jobs before it even comes out. And so they are already far ahead um, of you. You know, people can help you to navigate some of the 
um, things that you would not normally know, things around the culture of an organization. And those things, for people like us especially who have come from a different culture, you're never going to know those things unless somebody exposes you or tells you about them. You know, And so we need to have people who can help us along those paths so that we can you know, attain and progress just like everybody else. So who is a woman in pharmacy that's particularly inspired you? I looked at that question and I thought, there are just too many. There's so many women who have inspired me. Uh, but first, I mean, I would like to say that the first person who got me thinking and really changed my career, I met this lady called Christine Bell. And I just stumbled into her because I was at a primary care event and there was somebody who was trying to get people to have coaches. And I had never, this was, I think, way back in 2000 probably 2014 or even earlier, and I hadn't got a clue. But he had been trying to convince people, and he was next to my stall. I was talking all about medicines. And he goes to me, Lenny, please, can you just sign up because so that I can just get rid of all these spaces? And I thought, was it? And he goes, is the coach? I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, oh, just sign up. It's not going to harm you. And, and, and he goes, look, at, he had this little book, and he flipped through and said, choose one. And I thought, oh, no, I don't want a pharmacist, don't want a pharmacist. And I picked this lady. She had an interesting, I think she had done a bit of psychology. She was a journalist, all kinds of things. And I had six sessions with her that totally changed my outlook and changed the trajectory of my pharmacy career. And, you know, I remember going to see her the first time and, you know, the question she asked me, goodness me, I thought, wow. I remember her saying, you know, just talking to me about, you know, teaching and, and education and all that. And, and I said, oh, well, I don't have like a teaching qualification. And, and she challenged me to say, that's not the question. And, and that's how I got into teaching. And so I was lucky. There was another lady at the time who was my old uh, pharmacy boss, Sonia, and she was leaving but she used to teach undergrad pharmacy students at King's. And so she goes, oh, I'm leaving, Lenny. Would you like to do this just to broaden your skills? And I had been lucky because the, the coach had already spoken to me about that. And normally I would have said no. I would have just said, no, 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 I've never done this before. Can't do that. But because I'd had that conversation, I, 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 I went in and I said, OK, I will try. And then I met another lady and love joy. And she just embraced me. She was the tutor up there. And she she kind of held my hands as I went through. Within like two years, I was already, I was now teaching on the postgraduate uh, non-medical prescribing exam. And I have done so much teaching still without, you know, an academic qualification. Um, and I keep getting asked back. But again, I'm just thinking that would never have happened if, I hadn't been challenged if I hadn't had women who walked alongside me. So that's one of the, the women that really helped me in those early days. Then I had a bunch of pharmacy legends who I think most of them are retired now. There was Beth Taylor, Teresa Rutter, um, uh, Jane Nichols, Val Shaw. These ladies are kind of like walking encyclopedias of pharmacy. Not only do they have the clinical knowledge and expertise and, and maturity, but they knew why and the how and the what of everything pharmacy. And so you could always go to them. And these ladies at various points, they just carried me along and they just always encouraged me. They gave me lots of chances, lots of opportunities. I always went to them. I didn't have any of them formally as mentors, uh, but, but they were there. So Jane Nichols, she, she became my line manager and she um, coached me as, because she was doing a coaching course at the time. And I remember when she was leaving, she said to me, Lenny, do you know, I think you're a natural coach. 
Why don't you try and just go and see if you can do anything to develop yourself? And that's how I, I went off and did that. So there's loads and loads of uh, people in pharmacy um, that I really admire. There's somebody called Linda Dodds. And she, I remember when I was doing my diploma, she wrote a book, Drug in Use. I read that book cover to cover. I, you know, I loved reading that book because it's all about case studies. And I remember meeting her when I then worked, went to work for um, specialist pharmacy services. She was in a meeting and they said, Linda Dodd, and I couldn't breathe. I thought, the Linda Dodd, drug in use, I couldn't look her in the face. I, I, was so, I was in so much, I was in awe, really. I mean, I couldn't believe it. After the meeting, I went sheepish. I'm going, are you asking? I read that blue book for my client. She, she just kind of laughed it off. And, you know, and then I got to work with her before she retired. And recently, she's kind of um, written the last edition that she's going to she, republish in the book and writing the last edition before she retires completely. And she said to me, Lely, would you write a chapter? I thought, and she was like, oh, I know you're busy. I'm thinking, don't even go there. I thought, you want me to write a chapter in drug in use? I, I, you know, I said, I would do it for nothing and give you a hug on top of it. Do you know what I mean? And so I've had those moments where I just think, really? And so we just published in, in March. And just to see a chapter there, Polypharmacy Lely in drug in use, I thought, wow, how amazing. So I've had loads and loads of women. I mean, there's so many of them. And I've had people who are my peers. I work with Nina Barnett. I've been working with her. We're putting our consultant pharmacies uh, um, application together. She's always there. There's people like Heather Smith, another consultant pharmacist, old people. There are people, you know, just several, I can't even mention the people like Claire Howard, you know, always there to, to, to bounce back or to, if I had kind of like one of those imposter, imposter syndrome, you know, just checking in. There are people like Raliat and, you know, Diana Shiro, all kinds of people, lots and lots of females that I, I think have helped me along my journey. And of course, they are the amazing people I've worked with. Uh, people like Celia Oswagu, people like uh, Kathleen Bosque, Sherry's House and uh, Sherry's House. And I mean, I could just go on and on and on. And there's this whole community of women. And you know, when they say behind every man is a successful woman, I think behind every successful woman, there's a tribe of women that um, just have their back. And I've been fortunate to be able to tap into these people that I haven't worked with many of them in the same um, organization, but just have these networks of people I could go uh, to to help me in whatever way um, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. So, so many women I admire. You know, I've I had like a, a PA who was amazing. She was an amazing PA. She did stuff in my team. And then she went off and got a, a fabulous job somewhere in NHS England. You know, I thought, good for you. So I, I've, I've been so privileged to work with so many amazing people, and male and female, but today's about women, so I'm just kind of highlighting uh, the females I've worked with. That was Lady Obo, a consultant pharmacist for the care of older people at Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital London and the NHS Specialist Pharmacy Service. We spoke about the biggest challenges she's faced, her career goals, and the importance of finding the right mentor for you. For more news and updates on CND's Women in Pharmacy group, please visit the CND community via our website, chemistsanddragus.co.uk. Thank you for listening.